evening, Gasheads, and welcome to what's beginning to feel like a monthly emergency edition of Gascast, because having been appointed as Ben Garner's successor just 83 days ago, Paul Tisdale became the second shortest serving manager in Rovers history when he was relieved of his duties earlier today. I'm your host, Nino, and joining me to give their thoughts on this afternoon's news is Max Alderson, Mike Willett, and Nick Weeks. Evening, chaps. Evening. Evening. So then, there I was earlier on having a very relaxing afternoon watching World's Toughest Prisons on Netflix, and I quickly glance at my phone to check the time, only to find that once again, all hell is breaking loose at Bristol Rovers FC. We wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, Okay, maybe we would. Uh, right, let's start off by getting a one-word answer from you all, just a simple yes or no, and then we'll go into it a little bit later on. In your opinion, is this the right decision by Rovers? Let's start with you, Mike. No. Oh, and love that. I know the surprise. Love that. Right. Nick. I'll, I'll give you the detail later, but... Okay. Nick. Uh, yes. Max. Yes. Okay, so who are we going to go with first? Mike, let's come to you then, the outlier in the group. So why is it not the right decision by Rovers? Why would you have given him longer? I must admit, it is a a tough one. This is a tough one. And this is, you know, I'm someone who who definitely not sold on Tisdale at all, really, since he's come in. My my one thing is I just I really don't like a second managers whenever we go through a really bad run. And And I know it's bad run. I know it's a bad one. But it just feels, it just feels like where, where on earth do we go now? Like how how do we sell the club to any sort of um, promising manager in the market now? How do we sell this club to them to say this is where you should build your career? It just feels. I know we're not really in that position right now. I guess right now we would take Coughlin back just to, just to keep us in the division, but. I think it just feels like this season has been one big disastrous run of decisions, really, from the top. Um, and, you know, I, I just feel like this decision, whilst I sort of I can understand it, I just don't feel good about it at all. It's a shame. But, uh, you know, I guess we've just got to keep looking forward now and hope that we get the right, we finally make the right decision next time. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Nick, you were obviously on the pod with us a week ago or so, and we were chatting about Tisdale hammering the bloke, really. And you were saying at that point that you'd give him another game or two, maybe give him Swindon, see how it goes. But today you're saying that you think it is the right decision. So what's made you change your mind on that? Um, Max helped me change my mind as we were were going down the the, uh, last podcast. But um, what made me change my mind was actually watching his interview back for the second time today after I heard the news. Uh, I thought the interview was, came across quite sarcastic in ways and it was very much, I've done this, I've done that. You know, even though he said we, it was a good performance, he said it almost made out like he was doing everything that he could. He was being held back. Um, certainly what it felt like to me. So I don't know if he really did push for a strike or not. Um, and I just thought, yeah, he didn't seem connected with what we were, we were trying to do. And it suddenly seemed to be all about him. I haven't seen any improvement since Ghana. I think it's actually got worse, if anything. Um, I think the record's worse. Um, there's no direction in the team. We were discussing earlier that, you know, the formations were chopping and changing. He could never seem to make a solid decision and stick with it. And if we're thinking that, then I'm afraid the players are certainly thinking that as well. Um I was surprised by the decision this early. Like I said, I thought we'd get the Swindon game, to be honest. 
yeah, I think I think that final interview was the uh, nail in the coffin for him on this one. Okay, so Max, coming to you lastly then, and it feels to me like you've been the one who probably would have been quite happy to see the back of Tiz for a few weeks now. So why do you think that it's the right call by the gas to let him go? Simply put, if we carried on with him, I think we would have gone down, uh, no question. Um, as Nick just said, since the day he came into the club to now, have we improved? The answer is no. Have we got a consistent approach to get results? No. He's still trying to work out what his best formation is, who the best players are. Um, and he just, yeah, there's no real momentum or direction for what he's trying to do to, to keep us up. It feels like he 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 didn't know what to do. Um, and I'm afraid if that's the case, then he had to go because there's plenty of managers out there who would have a clue um, and would have some ideas that they could bring to the club to try and get the most out of these players and keep us in the division. Um, and Portistel was not that man, I'm afraid. And it is really hard to argue against all of that. So <laughs> I get your point, though. I do get your point about not being, wanting to be a club who chop and change, but we can't, like, it's that will go down. So we sort of have to, like, we don't have a choice. I feel like it was a bad appointment. And I think that became evident maybe six weeks after he came in. It looked like, mm, I'm not quite sure if this is working in the way we want it to. Yeah, and we kind of given it more time, a little bit more time, and it, now it's evident it's not working. And we've hit that point where he's been here long enough to sack him. So, yeah, <laughs> I think like he's, he's out of his honeymoon period, and you know the proofs in the pudding. I, I think there was something in that in that interview last night as well, where like like we all said before we came on that you know we were quite quite encouraged at times. You know, I, I was sat there last night thinking, oh, you're really trying to pick the positives out of it. But then when I heard his interview and he came out and he said we were fabulous, I thought, well, hang on a minute, Paul. <laughs> we, were far, we were far from fabulous, mate. You know, you don't say that to another feet at home to Oxford, but, um, you know, there you are. One thing I thought about that, and I feel like every time I'm on a podcast and we're chatting about a manager, all I do is compare them to Daryl Clark just because he's still, like, God level in my eyes. But can you even imagine Daryl Clark coming out after a defeat? You're, what is it? No, no uh, wins in 10. He comes out after a 2-0 defeat at home and he goes, I thought the lads were fabulous today. Just wouldn't happen. Like, the, the fans would have hated it. He would have known that, so he wouldn't have said it. But with Tisdale, I guess because we're not there, it's harder, but I, there's no connection with the fans. I don't think he, I don't feel like he gets us. Um, it's all just a bit of a mess, really. So I just want to start by going into the timing of it a little bit more um, because... Personally speaking, I thought obviously the Accrington shambles felt like a sacking performance and result to me. And I thought he was going to go that night, if not the next day. So when he didn't, I kind of assumed maybe they'll give him another five games or so, or at least give him Swindon and maybe that will be the decider. And then since that Accrington game, we've had an okay-ish performance at Fleetwood, got a decent point. And last night I thought we played quite well and... The finishing did let us down, really. That was the difference between the two sides. They finished their chances and we didn't. So, Mike, what do you think the tipping point has been? Because if Accrington wasn't the tipping point, then why do you think the tipping point has come now? I guess we, we might, you know, if the if the club makes a quick decision in terms of its his replacement, then maybe the 6-1 was the tipping point and that they've really been using this, that time to try and work out what you know who they bring in hope that Tisdale can maybe pick up a few points in between. But 
because I mean I thought the Fleetwood game was a pretty good performance um, and certainly encouraging after after a game like that. But but yeah, I mean I think last night it was probably just confirmation they were probably holding back, but you know in the hope that the six one was going to provide some uh, you know, dramatic turnaround. But I think that was probably the tipping point, and actually they've been using this time to scan you know, see who's out there really. So, Max, now you're the Clive Tilsley of iFollow. We've got a question for you from Mitch Tomlin, who says, after being at the game and seeing things we may not have seen on camera, was there anything that concerned you the past two home games from a leadership standpoint? Could you hear leaders in the management and playing staff? So I guess what he's asking is, from being at games, have you noticed anything that people at home wouldn't have? Potentially. I mean, the big thing that stood out to me was um, Carl Robinson, how vocal he was on the touchline. Um, and Paul Tisdale, just uh, you didn't hear him once, to be honest. Um, he doesn't seem to me like a touchline manager. I feel like he'd be quite happy to sit in the box and watch the game, to be honest, and give his instructions on walkie-talkie. He doesn't seem like one of one of the team, you know, like the proper coaches on the touchline who, you know, almost like orchestrate things. He just doesn't seem that kind of manager. Um, that's the only real thing I noticed. I thought the team were quite vocal, probably the most vocal um, I've noticed them. Um, I thought the communication and the attitude and the intensity has been a lot better since that six-one loss. Um, I just, yeah, I just don't feel it was. It was. It was good, but it wasn't good enough. And I really am not sure how much of it is poor Tisdale and how much of it is the players trying to take um, more accountability for their performances. Yeah. So Nick, when we were um, talking about Tisdale on the last episode, I believe the term you used was wet wipe for him. Yeah. Um, and we were kind of saying how he's not particularly charismatic and maybe not someone who you'd want to run through a brick wall for. Do you think that the board have maybe gone to a few of the senior players today or over since the Oxford game and sounded out some opinions? Because it feels to me like you would do that. You wouldn't just do it without having consulted some of the players. Do you think they've gone to them and said, what do you think of this bloke? Are you having him or not? And they've gone, nah, not really. Yeah, I, I think they must have. Um at the end of the day, they're the guys that are working with him every day. Um, and, you know, that's where we were slating Max, weren't we, beforehand? But he's the captain. And you'd like to think that they've gone to him and, like, as a skipper, that's part of your role. So, you know, how are the lads feeling? You know, do they believe him? At the end of the day, we're stuck with this squad until the end of the season. These are the players that are going to get us, hopefully, out of this relegation scrap. And then you have him come out in his interview yesterday and say he doesn't believe in the strikers. He basically said, I don't rate you. You're not going to. You know, I'm relying on you know what we say about daily now. So I'm relying on a 20 year old that's not ready. Something along those lines. That, that's not going to do any good for any workforce, let alone a football team, is it? So um, yeah, when they heard that comment, maybe they've gone to the players and just said, "Look, are you playing for him?" Let's be honest, guys. And they may have said no. Um, you know that was disappointing. And you think I try and put myself into like uh, my sort of work scenario where if your manager says, oh, "I don't rate you." Are you going to be given 100% for that guy in a relegation scrap? It's not happening, is it? So, um, And going back to his, his demeanour on the sideline and everything, I think you need a touchline manager in a battle, not somebody who's just going to sit there and watch and um, and hope for the best and wear a pair of gloves in the changing room, <laughs> which is another thing that annoyed me a little bit, but there you go. Um, so, yeah, um, I think the players were probably consulted and probably consulted over maybe a number of weeks. I don't think it would have been just one meeting. That's a lovely segue from Nick into the next part, which I want to go back to the um, post-match press conference last night, which a few of you have touched on. 
um, basically just asking how much of a part do we think that his comments have made? Because as Nick's just said, he essentially came out and called the current strike force shite and not good enough. Um, and we can't do anything about that now. We didn't recruit in January. So these are the guys we're relying on to have the confidence to score the goals to keep us up. And I can't imagine him publicly crucifying them will have done much for their confidence. So uh, we've had a question from Jamie Stockley, which says, guys, do you feel the tipping point of Tisdale sacking was his comments in his post-match interview last night? Do you think it was? I mean, again, I think it's a combination. You almost felt like um, he knew it was coming. It was it was the way it was kind of, look, I'm not a magician here. You know, I think that was his final shot at the board before yeah. he went sort of thing. We all remember what Daryl Clark was like in his last uh, interview uh, where he started taking shots at uh, whoever he could. Um, but it sounded a little bit like that, didn't it? Where he just felt that, um, you know, he was just trying to kind of make it sound like, well, I can't do anything with this squad kind of thing. And, you know, it's like it's not my squad. And yet he hadn't really been saying a lot of that up until now. And it was bizarre, really, to talk about strikers when he had Hanlon, Aunga, and Nicholson all on the bench last night. I mean, he had the choice to play them if he wanted to, but didn't. So, you know, I, I take his point, but I think he, he he sort of dug his own hole there, really. So I think it was. I think it played a big part as well in his second. Yeah, and Max, there's quite a few criticisms probably that we could say about Tiers and his time in charge, but... I think something Mike's just alluded to there, that there's been in the last few weeks in particular, quite a few contradictions coming from him. Because I remember when he was hired, he was going, these are my boys. You'll never hear me say that these aren't my players. And then in the last few weeks, he's been saying, I didn't recruit these. These aren't my players. They aren't good enough. Um, do you think that there's been some warning signs for a little while now that he's kind of cracking a little bit and was losing the plot with it? I'm not sure about warning signs, but I do, I do find it funny how He's contradicted everything he said when he first came in, you know, about how much this is a good group of players. I can get the best out of them. I can do enough uh, to take them to the next level. And you'll never hear me say they're not mine, et cetera, et cetera. It feels like, you know, him saying I'm not a magician is basically saying that it's an impossible task to get these players to, to score goals and win games, which is basically saying I can't do my job that I've been hired to do. Um, so for him to almost berate the players in the squad he's got, one, when he took the job on in the first place, so would have seen the squad before he'd accepted the job, and two, had a January transfer window to change that squad, for me, is the final straw. You can't be saying that when you had opportunities to change things. It's just frankly ridiculous. Um, and I'm not sure if those are the comments that got him sacked. I'm sure he had discussions with the board and behind the scenes. I'm, I'm not sure decisions are made on press interviews unless they're horrifically scathing of, of, of your, um, of your, of your boss, you know, uh, it's, I'm sure that the board would have called him into the meeting. Um, obviously don't know the details, but you would think that the board have looked at it and thought Saturday's game against Swindon, we have more chance of getting three points if we sack him. So if ultimately that's, that's the conclusion they've come to, then the decision to sack him is correct. And it's a lot easier to sack someone over Zoom, isn't it? Face to face. So, Nick, I'm going to come to you next. I've got the script in front of me here from the episode that we recorded the evening that Tisdale was appointed. And a few of the concerns we chatted about at the time were warnings from Exeter and MK fans, basically saying things like we'd see him select bizarre lineups and that the pretty football reputation he had was a bit of a myth. I mean, they definitely weren't wrong about the odd team selections at times. 
I just don't understand some of them. Do you think that the board have looked at just some of his selections and thought, what is this guy doing, basically? You can even throw last night in with that, maybe. Yeah, that was what I was going to go straight to, was I, I could fully understand resting Handen. You know, like we, we, we said, he's been flogged and he's been absolutely played every minute almost. Um, but the Nicholson decision for me was a bit of a shocker. That The guy, he's had a spell out injured as well, so he's not played as much football as everybody else. And, you know, you'd never know in 15, 16, 17 games time, you know, we might be crying out that we had an extra game at home against a mid-table Oxford side. All right, yes, they're flying. When you're in a position we're in, I could not believe that Nicholson wasn't playing. It, it just mm. it shocked me. And I, and I don't know whether with his attitude in the uh, post-match uh, interview, was he almost saying to the board, this is how deep our squad is. And with those players out, this is what I've got and this is what they can produce. I don't know. That would surprise me. But like I said, I was, yeah, very surprised with the Nicholson decision. Shocking, really, to be honest with you. Um, and the pretty football side of things, Daly looked really isolated the other day, which a lot on Hanlon has been most of the season. And it seems like we just miss out the midfield anyway. And I don't think we could go for the midfield if we wanted to, to be honest with you. But we seem to just miss out the midfield. There's no pretty football as such. We just seem to lump it or the big diagonal, which I think Jack Baldwin actually impressed me, especially that first half um, against Oxford, some of the diagonals over to George Williams. And then we stopped doing it. Um, and I don't know if that's something that Oxford, they, you know, they sort it out at halftime or what have you. And Max might be a better one to answer that one. Seems you can see the whole pitch if I follow, just following the ball. Um, but yeah, the certainly no signs of pretty football and team selections have been odd on occasion. Chopping and changing formations, as we said. You know, that unsettles the players as well. They can't get into a pattern of play. They can't get used to each other. The centre-halves, I mean, they were chopping and changing all the time, so no wonder there's no cohesion there. So, um, yeah, there's a list of things that he could have improved on, to be honest with you. Yeah, something that's kind of baffled me is that he, I think he came in, in in one of his first two games, tried a back three slash back five, whatever you want to call it. It didn't work. And in the post-match interview after that game, he basically said, I'm never going to do that again because that doesn't work. So then he went to a back four. We played that sort of midfield diamond for a few games, had a few good wins. And then we lost Nicholson and Ozzy to injury. And then since then, even since they've come back, he's gone back to this back three, which he was massively wasn't a fan of. And we've just now stuck with that. And we haven't won a game playing that systems. Um, I mean, that's just something I I just don't understand at all. I mean, Mike, as I'm going to come to you as the as the Tisdale fan still in the room, the virtual room. I mean, what what justification is there for him doing that? That's that's the toughest question of the night. Um, okay, I feel I can, like Paxman now. Yeah, so like, hang on a minute. Picking um, on you. Well, there there isn't any justification really, um, and and that was. That was really his, his biggest downfall. I think he obviously took a look at the squad and thought, you know, it, it was lacking in experience. I mean, almost, you know, very early doors was talking about bringing a go-go back. And, you know, we saw ups and straight back in the team. We, you know, we saw Rodman last night who played very well, to be honest. So I think, I think in his own way, he was trying to kind of bring the, <clears throat> bring the old boys back into the, back into the frame a little bit. Um, which I'm not saying that was necessarily a bad thing, but I think the one thing you could say for Garner was that I think the players were playing for him, even though it wasn't quite going to plan. You could tell they were playing to a formula. There was that, you know, keep the ball, and a lot of it was around the back, and you didn't really feel like there was any real direction, but you felt like they were 
they were working to something. Whereas under Tisdale, just didn't think like, just didn't feel like they were ever really in tune with it. So again, I, I can't, I can't defend it. You know, I think I think we're going to get to the end of this podcast, so I'm going to be, you know, absolutely turned around. But you're already turning, I can tell. That's it. I'm like, I, I can't believe it already. I got I got weeksy last time. I'm convincing yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, you're very, you're very good at this, Max. <laughs> Bloody Max and his articulately put arguments, yeah. swaying everyone on the podcast. <laughs> um, Max, do you think that we can? I'm going to give Tiz a little bit of a break here. So, do you think that we can? in any way say that he's been a bit unfortunate because we did have that good run of form where we beat AFC, Plymouth, Blackpool. Then I believe we had the enforced COVID break where we didn't train or play for a couple of weeks. And I think I'm right. I really should have uh, researched this before we recorded this episode, but I think I'm right in saying that we haven't won a game since we had that enforced break. We came back, played MK Dons, lost and I don't think we've won a game since then we've obviously we went through a period of losing Nicholson and Aussie he then brought a go-go back to give us a bit of bite in midfield he played really well at Peterborough now he's injured and out for the rest of the season so do you think that there's any way that we can make an argument to say that yes he's not managed them great but he's actually had a bit of shit luck here and there as well no every manager has bad luck and injuries um it's problems you have to deal with that's why you have a squad um, if I tried, felt, Paul. I tried. Yeah. If <laughs> credit to you for trying, but it doesn't fly with me. I'm afraid. You know, Graham Coughlin had injuries. Daryl Clark had injuries. Ben Garner had injuries. Um, doesn't fly with me. I'm afraid. There have been some unfortunate incidences which have, you know, meant our selections had to change and our shape had to change. But that's nothing new. Um, Garner had a lot of injuries early on for him. You know, Ansi Yakola did a shoulder. Um, Agogo and Upson were both out. I remember. Um, you know, we had a, a huge amount of fixtures in a short space of time under Garner and he, we really struggled to get any points from it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's things every manager has to deal with. Um, for me, the the key point is if he felt if he felt we were thin, he had a transfer window to sort that out and he signed a goalkeeper to cover an injury and a right back. And that was it. That's all he felt he needed. So for me, the story ends there. That's that's as that's as far as as a, as a, a justification against your your um your your defence of Tisdale as I as I can give. All right. Well, I can't argue with that. But I want to come to you, Mike, quickly, just to get your thoughts on the January window because I spoke to Max and Nick about that last week. Uh, obviously, not bringing in a striker, and then Tisdale coming out last night and slating all the strikers at the club and saying they're not good enough. So, I mean, what did you make of the window, the failure to bring in a striker, etc.? Yeah, I mean, I think you you have to wonder just how much of the budget there was left because, you know, they did back Garner very heavily in, in the summer. Um, albeit, I know he he always said that we were under budget under the previous year's budget, which always surprised me. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, I discussed it with a few of my, my mates before, you know, during January, and I was never that convinced we needed a striker. Like, again, I know I'm in the minority, and I think I'm probably wrong on that as well. But I, I, I did think right the right back was was a, the right move. I, I think Williams was a good player. I think the signing of a goalkeeper was a smart move, given that it seems like Jacola's out for a while. But I'm not convinced at day really. Um, so that might have been a bad signing. But certainly we could have done with a with extra um, resource up front because. You just can't. I mean, you know, people made the point that well, what if Hanlon gets injured? Which you you got to imagine is going to happen because he is just 
flogged to death every every game he he is working so hard with no luck you know no sort of a he doesn't get the rubber to green very often and you know with daily coming back from injury you sort of think we probably could have done with some cover there but i didn't think it was an absolute essential thing um i i did and i i've backed this squad all season long and then the 6-1 happened and i feel like it's personal now I feel like those lads, those lads have, have made a mockery of me all year round. So um, yeah, we, we should have signed five strikers in January. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's move on to the, I guess, the main questions then, i.e. what the hell do we do next? Um, so we've had a question from Trevor Edwards, which says, Unless we have someone to announce immediately and some background work has already been done, is there the time to go through the process of hiring a new manager done properly? It should take weeks. Then he needs to assess the squad. It's too late for that. Internal seems most likely. Uh, Weeksy, what do you think about who's coming in next? Do you think we will go internal until the summer? It's difficult. It's difficult because you've got to look at it. There's loads of time left in the season. And what makes it really tough is we don't know what league we're going to be in next year and so it's, it's crossed my mind whether do we go temporary uh, and try and keep us up and then we can have a longer process and get ready for the summer a full window um, I don't know whether this has had anything to do with the sacking either but the salary cap was lifted also so I don't know whether they can back another manager and they didn't fancy give back in Tisdale at the time so that might be another talking point um, but it definitely it, it depends on where at the end of the day we're stuck with this squad so if they feel they've got somebody internally that can just keep us up to the end of the season then we can have a real meticulous interview process I think the board need to rethink what they want as well at least they've gone for the same you know type of manager I know they want to fit in with our um, you know the club DNA the way they want to go um, but they may need to have a think themselves so if somebody suitable can take over temporary to the summer, I think that's what I would go with. The other argument, obviously, is do you want another permanent manager to come in and have time with these players and then decide who he wants to keep in the summer? Um, but then you can always have that person in the background anyway watching games. So, um, yeah, I would go temporary till the summer and then um, take our time with it. I think the, the thing for me is that although we've got 20 games left and that's a lot of games, a lot of points to play for, because we're playing two games a week for the next five years or something, I don't know, those games are actually going to go by very, very quickly. Um, so I mean, before you know it, if we do go down, if we actually bother interviewing some new managers this this time and we go through that process and we find someone and we hire them by the time you've actually done all that we could be eight games off and then the new guy's coming in with 12 games left and you're thinking oh shit like, we could be right in the mire by then so it, I mean, it's a really tough one Max what do you think do you think we'll go internal or would you like them to get in a, a new guy from outside I think internal in the short term is smart um, let's see if there's a reaction now from the players Um that's always telling when a manager's been sacked the next few games, if, if there is a lift in, in the camp. And um, we saw it with Coughlin early on. He was able to rectify a few things and get us going. Um, we'll, we'll see if there's a response against Swindon. Um, we've got a, still got a tough month. You know, we've got Pompey at home, Gillingham away, a massive game on Tuesday night uh, home to Wigan. 
and then we finished with Shrewsbury uh, at home as well. So a fair few home games still. So a good opportunity to see how Widrington does as caretaker manager. Um, I think it will be smart to be looking at the same time. And I expect we will be doing that. Um, I don't think we'll rule out looking at our options and seeing what's out there. But I, I don't think they'll appoint someone for the sake of it. I think if they can't find someone who can come in and uh, well, it depends what they want. Do they want someone to come in and be the manager for the next three years or do they want to appoint someone to be a quick fix to keep us up? And then on the basis of if you do a good job, we'll offer you another contract in the summer because not many managers will take that deal. Um, most managers will want the long-term security, the, the good managers anyway. So, um, yeah, I mean, I could see us I could see us have, like, looking in the market and seeing what's around. Um, but to be honest, I think it's more likely that Widrington, if he does get off to a good start, they'll keep with him um, until the end of the season and then um, have a rethink in the summer about the club DNA because at the minute the club DNA seems to be losing games. Uh, so that needs to change uh, quite quickly if we if we want to stay in this league, A, this year and B, next year. Mike, let's have a little look longer term then. If we think that maybe we'll go internal till the summer, let's have a chat about who we go with maybe after that. So touching on something Nick said about the board maybe having to have a rethink of sort of the direction we're going with these managers, really. Because obviously we've gone from Coughlin, who was doing really well and then got sick of microwave meals, to two similar-ish sort of managers in sort of coaching, articulate coaches type managers. Um, what You don't have to give me a name necessarily, but just what type of manager do you think we should go for next? Do you think we should go for someone more like Graham, like a man motivator type, or do you want another Tisdale-ish, but just better? It's a, it's a great question because I, th- I think I think when we talk about longer term as well, I think it's not just the manager. I think that certainly at the very top of the tree, um, and not just Whale, but Whale, Martin Stearns, um, the the whole board really with with Widrington, Gorringe, you know, I feel like I feel like there's a lack of real football people there. Um, yeah, I know Wales got football experience. I know he, in in Jordan he, he has experience there. Martin Stearns probably does too. But I just feel like it needs a real football head. It needs someone. Someone needs to make some real long term decisions about the football club because I thought that's what Garner was. I thought Garner was the long term vision and and to back him so heavily in the summer. We, you know, after the the bad season he had last year, to back him so heavily and then sack him so soon after eleven games or something was was a strange decision. I know it's a popular one at the time, but I thought that was a strange decision. Then they bring in Tisdale, and he literally said, "Oh, you know, we want this guy to be you know developing our players and and you know looking long term and all that." And then they sack him again. You know, they sack him in the middle of this season. So. I think they need to have a real rethink about how what what the strategy is going forwards because they they do talk a very good game about the future of the club and they've done some great things with you know the the financials obviously the, the you know covering the debt and the training pitches and everything else you cannot knock that at all but certainly from a football side it doesn't feel very secure and I'm concerned that whatever decision they make this season might not be the right one and then I'm not sure they're even thinking about long term. It feels like they need to. So it's a difficult one. 
But I, I, I've sort of, I'd like Mansell to get the job actually. Or Man, what I can see happening, I could see Widrington, Hargreaves, and Mansell in a kind of three-way sort of to the end of the season, get the, get the lads together. We've kind of done that sort of thing before, where we've got a group of guys just sort of who know football <laughs> to send the boys out and and see how they get on. I wouldn't surprise. I got a feeling Byron Anthony once uh, was like the assistant for a game or something. I, I swear let's just I chuck him in there as well, and then at the end of the yeah, season we can have a royal rumble, the four of them, yeah. see who gets it permanently. I cannot I confirm or deny Byron's interest in the role. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say he's like, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about, Byron, on on the commentary. So uh, yeah, maybe, but yeah. So I, I don't really know what my answer was there. I'm afraid, but um, I, just, I enjoyed it anyway. It was fine. It was good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But I just I hope there's a plan. That's all I want. I just want a plan. Yeah. So um, I'm just going to read out the top seven uh, in the odds list for the new manager, discounting Tommy Widrington, because we know from um, when we brought Tisdale in that he doesn't want it permanently, even if he does well as interim. So we've got Ian Holloway, five to one, Joey Barton, five to one, Paul Cook, 10 to one, Tony Pulis, 10 to one, Nigel Adkins, 14 to one, Chris Powell, 16 to one, and Daryl Clark, 16 to one. So um, Max, you nodded your head about four of those. So I'm not sure who you want to go for, but I'm going to come around to you one by one and ask you to choose one off that list and make a case as to why you would go for that bloke. So uh, Nick. At a push, and I wanted him to start was uh, Nigel Atkins. Um, I think number one, I think he'd suit us. I can just see him there with the with the uh, club tracksuit on. I, I don't know, and his Twitter is magnificent. His uh, morning little uh, coffee with Nigel. Um, he's a lovely that. man, isn't he? Yeah, he's such a nice bloke. Um, but the, I just feel like our younger players might look up to him a bit more. Guys managed at a high level, a little bit more high profile. Um, I think he'd be ready to, to come back into football now. And I think he he would seem much more of a figurehead for a football club. Um, I think the last two managers, um, I said as soon as Tisdale was um, appointed that he didn't suit us. I just I, it didn't feel right. Uh, and Garner being so inexperienced, it just didn't seem like you would look to him and think, well, that's the man that's in charge. That's the one who's taken us in a certain direction. And I just think Nigel Ladkin just suits us. Um, and I don't have any other real reason for it um, without thinking heavily into it. So he would be my choice on that list. Okay, Max? I was going to make the case for Adkins, but seeing as uh, Nick has, I will make the case for Daryl Clark. I would 100% be in support of Daryl Clark coming back to the club. Um, I think if we, whether we go down or stay up, if if... Adkins is an unrealistic target. He would be my number one choice, Adkins. Um, but if we can't get him, my number two choice would be Daryl Clark, 100%. I think he, well, we know he gets the club, 100%. He, he, I've said 100% like three times um, because I really like the idea of it. Um, he's got back-to-back promotions with us. Um, I don't need to explain any more than that. Everyone listening knows what he's done for this football club. Um, I feel the reasons he left, uh, he was very frustrated with the club, the ownership, he felt his hands were tied financially with a lot of the players he wanted to bring in. We didn't have our own training ground, like a base of operations. That's all changed now. We have our own training ground. They're building a clubhouse there where you know we can house the whole, the whole first team, the youth team. Daryl can have his own office. His backroom staff can have their own offices as well. Um, he's going to probably have more budget to sign the players he wants to sign. 
Um, and I think he's got a good relationship with the owner, with Wiles. So I feel like he would be open to coming back. Um, obviously, it's a step up from League Two where he's currently managing um, a bigger club. I feel like we are a really attractive proposition to him. So I can see him coming back um, and I can see maybe while returning to that because it would get fans on board, um, relieve some pressure maybe on him um, and get a, a bit of feel-good factor around the place, whether in League 2 or League 1. I think um, he could be a really good choice for us. I feel in terms of the football he plays, we all know what that's about. Um, we know he's no nonsense. We know he'd be good in the dressing room. Um, and I think he's learned from his time here before. Um, I think he's learned learned a fair bit at Warsaw as well. So I would be really open to the idea, if I'm honest. Um, and if we can't get Adkins, who, who I do stress is is my number one choice. A hundred percent. I would hundred percent my number one choice. I would hundred percent go for Daryl Clark. Okay, lovely. And finally, Mike, um, still mourning the loss of Paul. So I'm sorry to ask you to move on so quickly. But if you had to pick one off that list, who are you going for? We can't get Paul Tisdale back, can we? We've still got his oh. number. Um, yeah, what's the, the, the Tisdale Garner Coughlin dream trio. Back <laughs> yeah, in the... yeah. Um, I don't. I, I I remember when well when Garner left, there was lots of talk potentially of Paul Cook. I really I was really excited about the potential. I I think I think it's probably out of our reach to be honest. I know he he has done well wherever he's been. As I say, we're not exactly in the best shape to say come sign for us. There, there are plenty of other clubs out there now, but um, I don't know. So, I mean, I, I, I love the, the thought of Nigel Adkins as well. So I think I'd probably throw throw my money onto him if I could. Um, I don't know. I, it's, it's a really, really tricky one, but there are some good, looking at that list, actually, there are some good names there. And I think if we can, if we can stay up, if we can stay up to the end of the season and one or two of those names are still available, then, why not make a kind of proper long-term planned appointment? And whether that's Nigel Adkins, Paul Cook or whoever, let's just hope the club actually have a proper roadmap for whoever it is. But I'll go with, uh, I'll go with Nigel Adkins. Let's go. Let's do it now. Look at you awesome. already online eyeing up the next man on the internet. It's like you've broken up with your girlfriend yesterday and the next day you're on Tinder looking for the, the, <laughs> new, the new one to come along. What were you going to say, Max? Sorry. I was going to say, I think what's most appealing about Adkins is that he's been there and done it at this level and beyond. Um, And Tisdale hadn't done it at League One level and neither had Ben Garner. Um, And I think we do need someone who's who's been there in League One. There are a couple of options um, available who I think are quite appealing, but I don't think we can take the risk on them because there's still lots of unproven factors about them. Names like Joey Barton, Sol Campbell. I don't think they'd be bad appointments, but again, they've not been there, done it at League One. so I think the next the next person we bring in does have to have that experience um, under their belt so that there's no doubt in our minds that they are capable at this level because we can't afford to do that again, I don't think. I feel like Sol Campbell would provide tremendous content for this podcast. So I'm fully on board with that, with that <laughs> hiring personally. Um, Nick, let me throw Joey Barton's name at you because I'm fully on the Barton train, I've got to be honest. <laughs> oh. Again, I, I think that would be great content for you guys. You'd be doing emergency pods left, right, and centre of that guy. Um, you take I wanna, away. I want to hear Ollie give the give the case for Barton. That if you're so behind him, you have to give yeah. the case for him, surely. <clears throat> yeah. yeah okay. So um, he's a young, up and coming manager. I think he did 
a good job at Fleetwood. I think when they sacked him, he was fifth, they were fifth or sixth in the league. So it's not like he was tanking there. They were doing well. Um, they played good football. We know what sort of character he is. So not a particularly nice character, but I think that if you were in his good books as a player, I think that he would build a cracking relationship with you. And I think you would run through brick walls for him if you were favoured by him. Yeah, Barton to me, young, up and coming, plays decent football. I think he'd put some steel into this side. I desperately think we need a bit of grit and some steel and some um, fight in us. And I think he'd instill that into us. Um, and he'd probably instill some fights on the training ground every day as well. But um, yeah, I'm just fully on board with Barton. Interesting. Sorry to cut you off, Nick. I think <laughs> I don't want to stay now. I think I, I, I can I can see your point and. Put it this way, I don't think we would go down. If you put Barton in tomorrow, we're not going down, which is very appealing. Um, and maybe another positive, it might it would raise the profile of the football club, wouldn't it, nationally? It'd be all over Sky Sports News suddenly and things like that. So, you know, you know, board might think about that. I'm just playing devil's advocate with that one. But um, I just think he, we need to get this right appointment right. And I, I don't, or this next appointment right, sorry, I don't think that the the risk of him going off the rails is what the club wants. That's my personal opinion. Okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. So let's move on to something that Nick just touched on there, which is essentially, do any of us have any faith in the board to find the right replacement? Because that's now two managers who have quite spectacularly failed, really, since Coughlin left. Um, a question from Lucas Swain, which says, when trying to build a project of youth players coming through the club, is it not counterproductive to tar this with a reputation of frequently sacking managers? Do we abandon the project now and rehaul yet again in the summer, regardless of division? Mike, you kind of touched on this earlier, actually. So what do you think about what Lucas has said there? Because like he said, really bringing in players and giving them this sort of long-term project doesn't really tie in with bringing in managers for two weeks and then binning them off. So, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I, I think um, I think all, all of this this current period of, of you know second managers like we are has got to have a negative impact. I would think in not only the the kind of the strategy because they would have had a strategy when they started the season to say right. Because it all felt like we've got a plan and this is how it's going to be now for the next, you know, we want to develop players, you know, um, sell players on, make a profit, that kind of thing. And it did feel like, well, to do that, you're going to need to have some period of, what's what's the word? Continuity. Continuity, that's the one. And you'd feel like, you'd feel like you need that in order to make, to, to get those players to develop under a certain um, coaching, whoever that might be, and I, I do feel like that it will have a negative effect, and that's that's really my biggest reason for not being a massive fan of the sacking of Tisdale is because I'm just concerned that we're just going to keep doing this if we're not happy with. And I appreciate it's not just a few results; it's and we are looking pretty bad at the moment. It looks like we could go down, but I almost think that look, if they think they're going to, if they think we're going to go down. Then they they've got to own that then, and they've just got to say, "All right, we're going down, but we're gonna we've got a plan to not only come back but come back stronger." Um, I think they've got to be brave to do that, and I don't really see this as strong leadership. I see it as a bit, you know, callous and a little bit confusing. I'm not really sure 
I've got the faith that they're going to make the right decision. That's the problem. And Nick, we've had a question from um, Captain Gas about the backroom staff because we were chatting about this last week again. And he said, why are we still sticking with the backroom staff? Surely it's time for them to go as they are part of the problem. I guess he's referring to people like Jack Major, Kevin Mayer. As we were saying last week, these are guys who kind of span three or four different managers' eras now. And they're all now in this one sort of melting pot of confusing coaching, I feel like. So we've got rid of Tisdale. We've also got rid of Mel Gwinnett, who I think we bought in only last week or something to filter out the nonsense. And he quite quickly filtered Tisdale out of the club. So he's done well there. But um, what do you think about this melting pot of coaches we've got? Do you think that some of them should go and the new bloke should be able to bring in a whole new set of staff? I think all the board will be looking at there, how much is that going to cost? I think we've already paid, just paid off two managers. Um, but yeah, I, I think you need a clean slate there. I think we need to start again, um, you know, going back again. If you're a player and you're looking at it, going, well, these are the guys that are coaching us. These essentially day-to-day running or coaching at the training ground and that's what those guys are doing. Um, I think a new guy and everybody, whoever comes in, needs to be on that same page. And if they're going to go with a Nigel Atkins, bring his own staff in as a complete clean slate and then we can go again. Um, there's no point in just keeping that ball rolling, just revisiting on the same coaches and just bringing another manager in because the player's just going to be like, well, you know, nothing's changing and nothing will change. So I would say as long as we can afford it and pay off another what, four or five guys, um, I'd say, yeah, new manager needs to bring his own backroom staff in. Um, there does seem to be too many on the bench as well. There seems to be, I don't know, who's assistant manager, who's first team coach? It doesn't seem to be, but oh, this is the guy. So uh, fingers crossed next guy can come in and, and change that up a little bit. Uh, I was thinking about what you said about the sort of clearly defined roles of the coaches earlier, actually, and thinking back again to the Daryl days when you had Marcus Stewart there, who um, obviously was the striker coach and assistant manager. And then you had the defensive coach who I've completely forgotten the name of. You mean Steve Yates? Steve Yates. Yeah, Steve Yates. Steve Yates. Promotion you had Steve legends. Yates. You forgot I know, yeah, I know. You had Steve Yates, who was doing the defensive side of things. And I think you could look at each member of staff and you knew what they were doing day in, day out. Whereas yeah. I could probably bump into Jack Majeure in the street and not even know it was him. I don't think we've barely heard from the bloke since he came in. I don't know what his role is. I don't know what he does. Same with Kevin Mayer. Same with all of them, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I personally, I would really like just all of them to be wiped and to start again. But then it's not me who's paying for all of that. And why we'll probably have to be wiping out another 20 million of debt next year at this rate. So um, yeah, maybe we'll have to lower our expectations with that one a little bit. So I just want to finish by quickly chatting about Saturday's game. Massive match, six-pointer. Max, you'll be on the comms again. Bet you're buzzing for it. Let's come to you first. Uh, I don't even know what to ask you. What are you expecting? What can we do? Can we score a football goal? I hope so. I think I've only commented on one goal and that was the Leahy volley. Um, we, we, we don't score many goals, so it's not very fun for me at the minute. Um, and I am having fun with the commentary, but it's, it could be more fun is what I'm saying. Um, what am I expecting from the game? I'm expecting um, the players to take some responsibility and step up to the plate. Um, we're halfway through the season now. There's 20 games to go, a 20-game gauntlet. We are essentially in a mini league of seven teams now where we need to finish top three to stay up and the bottom four will go down. 
we need to forget about the rest of the league and just look at those teams uh, in that seven, the other six teams. And Swindon are one of them, so we have to beat them. Simple as. We have to go out there, give it 110% and beat them um, and show that we are up for this fight. Mike, what would you do with the team if you were in charge? Um, would you make any changes, change a system, anything like that? Well, I think he's got to go with, well, I say the strongest 11, but I think he's got to be starting Nicholson for sure. Um, I would I would look to try and start Hanlon and Day, Daly as well, along uh, give them both a go. Um, and I'm just hoping to see, again, like a response. I feel like, you know, if, if the player, normally what you see when the players aren't really working for the manager, as soon as that manager's gone, you do see a, a terrific response. So I'm, I'm hopeful that Saturday is that day that we we see that. But um, yeah, so play the strongest eleven, you know, and get the players really fired up and just keep our fingers crossed, really, because it is a must-win. I think it's um, we got to win that game. Yeah. So Nick, if you're Rovers manager on Saturday, which the way the season's going isn't completely out the realms of possibility, <laughs> uh, what are you doing with the eleven? I would say I'm going for it. Same as uh, Mike said, that I'm having Handlon daily up top. Uh, I think my midfield four would be uh, Nicholson, Grant, McCormick uh, and Oztuma. And then Leahy, he won't drop Amos. It'll be Amos, Kilgore for me, um, Williams and then Day and Goal. Go for him. Um, I had a tweet. I was just looking for it then. I had a tweet. My my best man at my wedding is a Swindon, massive Swindon fan. We've had, he was stood with me in the East Terrace when Ricky Lambert scored that goal against Swindon. And best moment of my life, to be honest with you when having him next to next to me but he tweeted me and said if you don't beat us then you deserve to go down um they've not had a shot in on target in four games so if that doesn't scream go for them um i don't think nothing will so yeah i think we play all our attacking players and we have to get three points there's a definition of a must-win game it's saturday and, if there's um, anything we all know game. about bristol rovers is that we're absolutely classic at ending runs like that so Let's finish by getting a score prediction from you all for Saturday, Max. 2-0, Rovers. Mike? 1-0, Rovers. Nick? 2-0, Rovers. Oh, very positive. Three clean sheets as well. Blimey, lads. On the drink, all of you. Um, so then, there we have it, Gasheads. Thank you very much to everyone for listening to this hastily prepared episode and for sending in your questions for us to discuss. Who knows what could happen next at Bristol Banter Rovers FC, but whatever it is, you can be sure that we'll be in your ears having a good old moan about it. Stay safe, everyone, and up the gas. Up the gas. Gas. Up the gas.